Welcome to the Orchard Podcast, a resource of Orchard Africa. The mission of Orchard Africa is to equip the church to care for the vulnerable. For three decades, a passionate community of churches, leaders, and donors have worked together to feed, educate, care for, and empower under-resourced communities in Southern Africa. To date, Orchard Africa and its partners have served over 10 million meals to families in need, cared for over 75,000 orphan children, and enrolled 8,000 children in high-quality early learning programs. All of this takes place with local African leaders to help communities move from survival to stability to sustainability. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Orchard Podcast, where we help you make a positive and sustainable impact in the places of greatest need in uh, the world. My name is Brian Lemieux. I'm the executive pastor of Orchard Africa. And as always, I'm here with the co-founders of Orchard Africa, Mike and Michelle Tef- Tessendorf. How are you guys doing? Hi. Hello. Hi, everybody. Doing good. 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 Good to have you around the table again. Uh, for those of you who haven't met Mike and Michelle Tessendorf yet. Michelle is the CEO and executive director of Orchard Africa. She provides directional leadership for the whole scope of ministry uh, at Orchard Africa. And Mike is our senior pastor and leads the Orchard Network that trains and mentors pastors all throughout Southern Africa. And so today um, we are around the table and we're going to just jump right in today and talk about a principle that has been at the forefront of Orchard Africa's mission and strategy since uh, its earliest days. In fact, I would say that this principle is the single most important strategy for long-term sustainable missional impact. And um, if you uh, saw the title of the the podcast, uh, you, you know that what that principle is, and it goes like this, that we want to help develop Sunday morning preachers into community leaders, developing Sunday morning preachers into community leaders. And so, um, Mike, Michelle, what, what does that mean? Um, we, when uh, we've been around um, the ministry of Orchard Africa, uh, or maybe if you've, you've been, if you're listening in, you've maybe heard that phrase, but what, what, what does that mean? Well, I think that um, Sunday morning preaching is important. So we don't want to uh, minimize that. It is important. It's a vital part of a pastor's job. But what for us that means is for the pastor to understand that his congregation is not just those sitting in the seats on a Sunday morning. His congregation is his entire community. Mm-hmm. And he, if he can change his focus from everything uh, revolves around the Sunday service to everything revolves around reaching my community. That is exchanging that, that mindset from a Sunday morning preacher to community leader that makes an impact. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for me, in those early years, um, <clears throat> when the AIDS pandemic was so rife and orphans and death was happening everywhere you looked, particularly in the disadvantaged communities where we began working. One of the things that I used to say to um, the few pastors that we started working with back then is when people are sick and dying of AIDS or when a grandmother is looking after six or ten orphan kids because their parents have died, they really don't care how good the worship is on a Sunday morning. Uh, They don't care if your church is growing or what the offering was 
all they need is somebody to love them and care for them and be there for them in their time of distress. And um, we we began promoting to pastors that um, your ministry can be to everybody in your entire community and not just your preaching on a Sunday morning. And so it was a case of expanding the thinking of what ministry looks like. Um, And of course, the idea of taking time to go and speak to and minister and visit and and invest in people that might never come to the Sunday service Mm -hmm. is hard for a pastor. Mm -hmm. Um, Because a pastor really at the bottom of every pastor's heart is, I want to see my church grow. And if there's no guarantee that the people you're spending time with ever going to come to your church, that's hard. Mm-hmm. But thank God for those early pastors that we started working with is, is that they got it. Right. And they realized that there is such a bigger ministry out there than what they do on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. And if you remember, we, we coined a phrase in the early days, which we actually still use today, which is the church can fill the gap. Yes. yes. If there's a gap. Mm-hmm. How does the church fill that gap? Yeah. And so we were specifically talking back then of the the the, the gap that the parents uh, that were dying had left. That you had the young kids and you had the grandparents, mm-hmm. and in the middle was this gap of parents who were dying of AIDS. And our philosophy was the church can fill that gap, and the church uh, should step in and and find a way to do that. And uh, we've continued with that phrase throughout our Mm -hmm. ministry. If there's a gap somewhere, how can the church fill that gap? Mm. And that becomes that community Mm. outreach. Mm. Mm. That idea of filling the gap and this idea of indigenous leadership, kind of stepping back a decade or so in my story as a senior pastor of a church in Michigan, and we first were introduced to um, the work of Orchard Africa and the story... Uh, Mike and Michelle, uh, of what uh, you grew and developed there. I know for us, we were we were looking as a church for a ministry that was focused in on indigenous leadership. Mm-hmm. And the way that you describe this idea of moving from uh, Sunday morning preachers and develop, developing them into um, community leaders was so attractive to us. We went and saw it, and we, we saw it. Uh, in person and uh, met the leaders that were developed. And so maybe if we just kind of step back and I I would love to hear uh, when you were in the early days of the development of Orchard Africa, now we're celebrating 30 years this year. So in the early days, uh, did you know right out of the gate that sustained change in these communities that were experiencing incredible challenges would require indigenous leadership? Did you kind of know that right out of the gate? Did you discover that? Uh, how did you come up with uh, this? Because there's lots of models for yeah. missions. Yeah. But how did you arrive at that one? Well, first and foremost, we are indigenous leaders in South Africa. We were pastoring a church. And uh, we observed missionaries from other countries coming to our city and uh, befriended many of them, wonderful people, people who loved God and sincerely wanted to do the right thing. But what we observed is that they'd come for maybe four years and then they'd leave and go back to their home country. Mm -hmm. And everything they started just fell apart when they left. And then another missionary would come and start the whole thing up again and the same story would happen, you know, do wonderful ministry. We would enjoy their company. We would uh, truly see that they were people with a heart for Jesus. 
but then they'd go home and the same thing would happen. Mm. And Mike and I would often say, but, you know, we've got so many wonderful indigenous leaders, mm. people right here. Why don't they develop them? Mm. Instead of sending missionaries mm. at great expense, how about developing the local people to continue with the work? And so we observed that happening in the 24 years that we were pastoring. And I think those the seeds were planted then uh, that the the, yeah. the the way to move forward and to truly gain ground is to develop local people. Yeah, it's interesting. You, your question was, did you know? Um, I, I want to say right up front, back in the early days, we didn't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's all new. We, yeah. we literally, we, we learned as we went. Um, and of course, that created a lot of questions because we looked at situations like the one Michelle has just described. And in my mind, at that time, there's two possible solutions to that. Either uh, the missionary becomes a, a lifetime missionary and, and lives out his life in whatever community that is. Uh, but the reality is when he dies, uh, the thing typically dies with him. Mm. And so in the long term, that's not a solution. And then the other thing was, um, if, if you look at... Uh, aid efforts in Africa, and this is what I wrestle with. You know, mm. um, I, I've spoken oftentimes in the past about the parable of the Good Samaritan and Jesus saying, "Go and do likewise." And I began to ask some questions. Well, um, how many Samaritans is, is it going to take to address the needs of all the people that are hurting and broken and dying? And then, how much money is it going to take? Because it costs the, the the Samaritan money. And as I was grappling with these questions, I, I realized that it's probably going to cost more money than we could ever think of raising. Um, and if we can't raise the money, well, let's see if we can find Samaritans and raise people. And to me, that was the solution. Mm. Not to have, uh, uh, and, and this is not a criticism against long-term and lifetime missionaries at all. It was just grappling with, surely there must be another way. Surely there must be a way that we can create sustainable change. Um, and lo and behold, we were pastors of a church. We always felt like the church should fill the gap. The church should be relevant. The church should be reaching beyond the, the walls of the building. And in every African community, it doesn't matter how remote and how small, in every African community, there is a church. Yeah. Um, and it might be a tin shack. It might be in somebody's small house. But there's a church and there's a pastor. And with the, 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 the provision of, hey, yes, guys on the ground that are already there because they love God, they love people, they desperately want to do the best they can to mm -hmm. help and minister mm -hmm. to people, let's, let's train them. Mm -hmm. Let's see if we can transform them and, and, mm -hmm. and, and bring them to a place of being community leaders and not just Sunday preachers. Mm -hmm. And so it was a, it was a learning. It is. And I mean, our whole ministry has been a learning. As you just said, uh, Orchard Africa is um, 30 years old this year. And Mike and I have been in ministry for 40, of, 40 years. And so it's a learning experience. It's not something we knew from the get-go. Mm. So identifying leaders, uh, there were leaders already there. There were churches already in these places of great need. So as you think back to those days... What was it that created a barrier from the Sunday morning preachers who are 
in place already, becoming becoming community leaders. And what did Orchard Africa do to begin to assess how do we how do we overcome that barrier? Yeah, that's a really good question because it's not because the leaders didn't want to. Um, our observation of where we were working is that it didn't cost. And I mean by cost, financial cost. It didn't cost uh, a pastor in a tin shack money to preach on a Sunday. Uh, That's what he was trained to do. He could get up and he could preach a great sermon. But it would cost him financially to feed children that were hungry on a Monday morning. And his church was poor and didn't have that money. And so sometimes it was really a lack of resources. Uh, Not a lack of, I want to. Mm. why I don't see the need. It's a case of I really don't have the resources. Sometimes it was a lack of training. Uh, in the early days, pastors would go, I know nothing about AIDS. How do I, how do I right. help my community? Right. I don't know anything. And so it's a case of learning and training. Or I don't have the tools. What do I do? How do I go about this? And that was uh, at the heart of Orchard Africa right in the beginning is developing the tools that are needed to pass on to other people that they can use those tools and um, work in their community. So I think that that was what was preventing people. And uh, it's certainly not a lack of uh, that they didn't desire. want to or no, desire. Yeah. So many of them desperately wanted to. And that's why in those early years uh, we had pastors coming from communities all around saying, can you please help me to do what you do? Because word was getting around that something was happening in the few village where we, uh, few villages where we were working. Um, and so uh, we, can, we can move on and on, talk a little bit more about that later. But um, in addition to what Michelle has said, I think one of the other barriers um, was the ministry model that was being portrayed or being embraced by... Uh, many African pastors. Yes. Um, a lot of that was what they were seeing on Christian television. And of course, uh, the mindset is if somebody's on television, then they've got to be successful. And if they're on television, they're successful and they've got bling jewelry mm. and a, mm. you know a nice haircut and a smart suit. Well, then that's what ministry looks like. And so... Uh, then these pastors would go to, to, to leaders' conferences and pastors' conferences in the big cities, and the overseas speaker or the keynote uh, leader from Africa would be there and present a successful model of ministry that for them was... Unattainable. Absolutely unattainable. Mm. And a lot of those pastors, as we began to work with them, would go back to their villages where they're in a tin shack or in somebody's... Uh, little house and feel like I'm a failure Mm. because I cannot attain what that speaker at that great conference said successful ministry looks like and so that helped us again just thinking and grappling and how do we do this to to try and portray to Christian pastors in poor communities where the need is great and the resources are so few how you can be successful in ministry in a different way Mm. and start striving for some of the things that Jesus said are successful and attainable and break away from this model of ministry that this is what a successful pastor looks like. And when we saw that mindset start changing, um, you see the hope 
in church leaders because none of us like to feel feel like failures and you start feeling totally hopeless because you can't wear the fancy suit or have the big building or you know the 10 steps to church growth that just doesn't mm. uh, you can't relate to but when you start seeing your your uh, community growing and your ministry having incredible impact it gives you as a church leader hope and uh, ignites the human spirit and all kinds of wonderful things happen from there. Mm. The other thing, Brian, is um, this is, I think, one of the tragedies of colonialism and in South Africa, particularly of apartheid, which, again, we didn't really understand until we began working in the communities where we did, was the colonial process and the apartheid system created the mindset that uh, white people are superior. And the outworking of that Mm. in Mm. African pastors that we were working with was, if I have a problem, I don't have what it takes to fix that. Mm. I've got to find somebody who's white because they know what to do and they know know how to do it. And so there was this this, this, um, thinking pattern that, Yes, there are problems in my village. Yes, there are things that I wish I could do. But I've been convinced and indoctrinated to believe that I cannot. And so I will wait until some Western missionary comes or some along. missionary or some white South African hmm. comes hmm. and they'll be the solution to the problem. And mm-hmm. that was one of the things that I think helped us uh, move towards developing community leaders is let's help the pastors understand that God has gifted them that God has equipped them and they, that, that it's not just for preaching, mm. it's to minister and to serve and to be uh, that man of peace that comes mm. to those that are broken. Mm. And then, of course, we had programs that we said, well, we've got some tools. If we can give you the tools and we can train you how to use the tools, then you can be the solution. You don't have to wait for somebody from outside to come in. Mm. You know, that kind of makes me think about the reality that to achieve that, that kind of change, that cultural change, that mindset change, that a lot of ministries and mission organizations may say, we do leadership development. Mm-hmm. But there's a whole lot of different things that that can mean. Yes. Right? Because it could be a one-off con- com- conference or a, 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 a inspirational talk. But to be able to get to that level of transformation of mind of heart of culture that's a totally different approach to indigenous leadership development and so we've seen over the last 30 years the fruit of leadership development and these kinds of things changing in people's mindsets Mm -hmm. what are some of the principles best practices in leadership development that that can actually overcome these sorts of Mm -hmm bears that are probably more of a barrier than a financial barrier. If it's a mindset barrier, right. no matter how much money you have, it's not going to fix that kind of problem. So what did uh, leadership development look like uh, then and, and then even, even today? Yeah. You know, for me, um, outside of any teaching, training, equipping, uh, developing Uh, For me, it started with relationship. And again, we're talking 30 years ago now, but those early pastors that we began to work with were people that before we 
began to give them tools. We first began to be their friends. Mm. And by that, I mean we would go to their houses and we would have meals in their houses and we would spend time in their villages. And we would go there not just to be the, the guest speaker at a Sunday service, but just to be there as, as, as a fellow worker in, in, in Christian ministry. And so there was a lot of um, trust and um, understanding that developed both ways from our side and from the pastors. Right. Um, and so I, in my mind, the, the early success of development was born out of relationships. Right, and it continues to be that um, relationship is so important. You use the word trust. Trust is so important, and trust doesn't happen overnight. And, you know, we've said this over and over again. Development takes time. Uh, it's not a hit-and-run kind of development, like leadership development, mm-hmm. let's go in and run a weekend leadership conference and say we reached 5,000 leaders, we developed them. Well, maybe you imparted some information and a couple of skills, but development takes time and it takes over and over and over. Mm. And um, we don't believe in what we call hit and run ministry. It's relationship, Mm. it's long term, it's uh, working through the processes and working through uh, the hiccups. Because, and that's true for all of us, you know, when we're learning and we're developing as people, we seldom get something overnight. We all need mentors. Mm. We all need people to speak into our lives and to show us the way and to train us. And um, it takes time. And so for us, that's a part and parcel of what we do to recognize that we're in this for the long haul and we will build relationships over time and trust over time. And mentoring takes time. Mm. I'll never forget the first... Orchard Network meeting that we, that actually launched the Orchard Network. Um, as I said, we've been grappling and thinking through and talking about a lot of what we've mentioned up until now. Uh, we'd been <coughs> building relationships with pastors. Pastors were coming to us, and Michelle was being inundated with how can I do what uh, I see is being done in Top Village and Molwani Village back then, and so. We thought, well, let's, let's put out an invitation to the pastors that we do know and who we do have a relationship with and say, okay, we, we're going to create this network. And the focus of the network is going to be to create a leadership platform where, as pastors, we begin to reach our communities in practical and, and real ways and not just through the preaching. And let's see who comes. And we kind of catered or prepared for about 30 people that we knew, and uh, 62 turned up. And that was the birth Mm. of Mm. the whole idea of these pastors really, really, really want to be able to do something more than preach. Mm. And I think for us it was an eye-opener, and it was from there that those relationships began to develop week by week, month by month. Um, Some of them go back almost 30 years. Right. And, you know, these pastors were really grappling with very difficult things. Uh, Back then, at the height of the AIDS pandemic, they were doing more funerals than anything else. That was the scope of their ministry is day after day after day was funerals. And, um, you know, seeing your community dying and seeing your Mm. congregation afflicted Mm. really... Uh, 
impacted them and they desperately wanted to know how do we make a change? What do we do? Mm. And uh, that desire to reach out to the community outside of preaching the gospel, which is important, we're not saying it isn't, but to do more than that, you know, that idea of preach the gospel and use sometimes use words. Mm. And mm. Um, that first network meeting was amazing. Uh, we were overwhelmed 62 people well you know hopefully the catering will multiply and today we've got over 800 pastors mm. in that network but we're not saying we've trained 800 pastors these are regular attenders people we've been walking with for a long time uh, it's not just one-off hit-and-run training that mm. we've done mm. Th these are solid relationships that mm. we've been building mm. and so developing that over uh over years, decades, has fruit that's been born. And uh, interestingly, I, I've been reading a lot of research lately that talks about how effective, when it comes to transformational community change through relief and development, that the local churches in, in these communities in need may be most effective. There's a lot of incredible organizations and NGOs doing great work but the local churches in these communities are the most effective channel for both relief and development. For instance, I just read um, um, this week that uh, the, the local churches um, have always been in these kinds of crises, even with COVID, the first to respond. Right. Yes. Because they're there. Yes. There's no like government um, discussion that needs to happen or policy that needs to be created or money that has to be channeled, they're already there. And so the amount of um, quick response that can happen when the local mm -hmm. church is engaged and when those indigenous leaders are engaged, it, it can happen the very next day. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And we, we saw that um, in light of the crisis of COVID-19. Right. That it was, the leaders were already there. And... Yeah. Uh, Mike, you, you've been working with the pastors uh, on the ground there um, as you mentor them and train them. What did, what did you hear when it came to just even this most recent pandemic? Yes. Um, I say this with absolute humility and grace and, and with a broken heart for many ministries who have suffered uh, serious losses as a result of COVID. Orchard Africa has actually moved forward and being strengthened through COVID. And the reason for that is the answer to your question is way back when we started that first network meeting, we began to realize that we could be incredibly fruitful. The ministry of Orchard Africa and the uh, legacy that uh, Michelle and I could leave could, could be exponentially multiplied if we realized that there were other trees that we could grow fruit, grow fruit on. Mm. And it's, it's not just our tree. And so this principle of producing fruit on other people's mm. trees is what began back then. And that's been the model and the pattern since then. That's Orchard. That's orchard the Africa. Orchard. And that's where the name actually uh, came from, that there's this Orchard of Trees, which is every church and every church leader. And the result of that is when COVID struck, and uh, particularly in Africa, um, hard lockdown, and nobody could move or go anywhere, 
And many ministries like ours, like Orchard Africa, were limited. People couldn't travel. People couldn't get to the front line. People couldn't get to the beneficiaries. Orchard Africa's beneficiaries were there. Mm. They didn't have to come from somewhere. They didn't have to go somewhere because the pastors in the communities were there. Uh, what we did do is we got them essential uh, service nice. permits so that they could move out of their houses. But that was all it took. And the ministry continued. Mm. The, 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 the food and relief and care continued. Uh, schools obviously couldn't because of um, all, all the lockdown. But the ministry went forward. The pastors, we could support them from hmm. Zoom, <laughs> through yeah. WhatsApp, from phone a distance, calls. phone yeah. calls. And there the fruit was on the trees and it in the, continued in the to communities, be productive. Right. And I think maybe if I can put just a little bit of context around what you've just said. In South Africa, uh, it, South Africa experienced one of the world's harshest lockdowns. Uh, it was enforced by the military and nobody could leave their front yard. That was it. You stayed mm. in your home. You were not allowed to leave your front yard, uh, which, of course, restricted this movement. And Orchard Africa very quickly applied for an essential service license and helped, as you said, the pastors get essential service licenses. And with those licenses, they could move outside of their front yard mm. and uh, became the frontline workers in their communities. Right there, there mm. they were. Yep. Like within a few days, all of that happened. They were the ones distributing food parcels to families. They were the ones visiting. They were the ones rallying their community and keeping uh, hope up and hope alive. Mm. They knew who was in need already. Yep. They knew how to get to them. They had the information about everything related to their culture that would be necessary to be able to bring care and relief. And no one had to teach them that. No. Yeah. No one had to come up to get up to speed before relief could be distributed or care. It was already there in place. Right. Before any government relief got to those communities, uh, our pastors were already there. Right. And then there were movements, well, let's, let's create a collaborative and let's create a forum and let's develop a response. The pastors were responding. While everybody else was thinking about what are we going to do, they were doing what While needed to be done. While they were having committee meetings, Orchard Africa was providing food to all the pastors yeah. and mm. they were out going house to house to, uh, handing out food parcels. Mm. And so, yeah, again, one of the things we used to say way back is that any sustainable long-term development and change has to come from grassroots level. It cannot come from outside. And so I think you were saying, well, what, if, what have we learned? What have we seen? We've seen sustainable development happen and continue to happen because it's happening on the ground where the needs are. Absolutely. I, when I think of the first village that uh, when we were pastoring the church and we started the feeding project, um, we're no longer there. And that mm. village is continuing with all the Today. projects to this day. Mm. Uh, they've developed. Uh, it's an amazing village to, to go to when, when I think of what it was three years ago. Mm. And what it is today, you can barely recognize it. Mm. And that was because the development was in the hands of the local leadership. Right. And that released you and me to move on to other places and to do other development work. Uh, you know, individuals can just do so much, but when you release it into the hands of other people, it just continues. Mm. Generational impact, impact that lasts 30 years, it's 
got to be about building people. Right. We have built buildings in the past. Yes. Yeah. But we've seen the far greater ex- exponential uh, impact has been through the building of people. Mm-hmm. Right. And I mean, it goes all the way back to the early church when the apostles, uh, they went house to house, two by two, and started new ministries. And there's this one little phrase where Paul is telling Titus, here's here's what you do next. He says, ordain elders in every city. And this idea that uh, if you really want long-term sustainable change and transformation in ministry, then uh, you have to, in every village, in every community, you're appointing leaders, you're training leaders, so that 30 years later, you can say, um, well, remember when we first first um, began work there now, uh, we, mm-hmm. we, we love the pastors and leaders there, we, we celebrate with them, but we're no longer responsible right. um, for that change there. They've been leading um, for, well, decades now. Right. right, and it's not the white missionary that did it. It's the local leader in mm-hmm. that community. And the children have grown up looking to their own leaders mm-hmm. as the example and the way forward. And uh, in fact, some of the very children that we started the feeding project with in that village are now the key leaders in that village and are key leaders in that church. Yeah, again, a biblical principle there, which um, was meaningful then and still is meaningful today, where Paul said to Timothy, the things that you've received from me, commit to faithful Mm. men that they may be able to teach others. Mm. And so there's this succession of development, of passing on knowledge, of understanding, and it goes from generation to generation. And here we are, children who needed a meal are now leading Mm. the serving of meals to others mm. Mm. that's right and and that's just beautiful to see mm. it's moving from that idea of relief to development mm. Mm. and we've been around long enough to see that transformation mm. happen which is wonderful well if you're in a missions role uh maybe you're a missions director or you're part of a missions team uh we encourage you to really think about as you're developing your strategy look for that indigenous leadership development because that way uh, your impact, your time, your money, uh, your investment will reap benefits uh, years, decades, lifetimes into the future. Uh, if you're um, if you're a donor, uh, one of the things we always say is we, we want you to be uh, an informed and intelligent giver. Right. And so this principle is so key to that long-term um transformation and and legacy that that can be given through time and through a ministry's absolutely strategy and through through gifts well it carries through um in in our mission teams we have lots and lots of mission teams that go and work in africa and um i think for many people the first time they came on a mission trip with orchard africa it was a little different from what they Mm. expected because Typically, teams build a building or paint a building or fix a building or do something physical and material, which is great. But suddenly, there was a team on the ground, and our instruction to them was, you are here to walk alongside the pastor of the village where you are to help him do what he does, to encourage him in doing what he does, and to leave something behind that can help him do better what he does. Mm -hmm. And so there was no building and painting. It was investing in people. And so every mission team that has come has invested in one of those pastors who are still producing fruit 
And um, again, it's the investment in people and not so much in mm. stuff. Right. I love it. Well, that's a great place to stop for today's episode. Um, thank you, Mike and Michelle, for the, the legacy that you started 30 years ago and for the opportunity to uh, see now the fruit of how God has blessed that. Thanks for listening in, everybody. And um, we are grateful to partner with you as uh, together. Uh, we're wanting to make an impact that's positive and sustainable in the places of greatest need in our world. Thanks for listening in. Thanks so Thanks. much. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.